When I first presented my work, it was a turning point for me where I started do it to the world. Because after you show it to somebody, it belongs to the world as well. When I'm playing music, when I'm writing music, is the closest I can get to myself. This leaves me with no doubt of why I'm here and what I'm supposed to do. So I don't think I'm a musician because I'm the daughter of a musician. I think it's because it's part of my story, of course, but it's me. It's actually me. This is Maria Luisa Jobim, a Brazilian singer and songwriter who's bringing a fresh perspective to Brazilian music with her unique sound and style, fusing pop, electronic music and bossa nova. My name is Pedro Garcia and this is Creative Emotion, a podcast about creativity. Not a creativity based on formulas, trends or references, but one that comes from within, from the true expression of our emotions and our individuality. I believe that some questions can reveal our essence, especially those related to the most striking works of art that we have either created or consumed, and those related to the turning points in our journey of artistic evolution. So consider these conversations as an attempt to paint a portrait from these multiple perspectives that can hopefully help us catch a glimpse of our true selves and propel us forward in our artistic journey of self-discovery. Maria Luisa has a very unique relationship with music. Her songs create sonic landscapes that mix sights and sounds and seem to be an extension of her feelings. In this conversation, we'll try to understand how art can be used in this powerful way, how she used music to connect with her father, legendary maestro Tom Jobim, and how to avoid the perils of repetition and bring excitement to creative work. Here, she remembers how this relationship started and the first memories of getting in touch with her calling. Since I was a little kid, I think I've been writing music somehow with my father and alone. It was just a way of expressing what I was feeling. I think the way the music sounded usually would tell me a lot of how I was feeling. So, But what was the first moment that you remember to have been in touch with your calling? I think it was later on when I was studying architecture and I was working with it and it made me really miserable. The repetition and to go to the office every single day, the same thing. I have a routine problem. Kind of makes me numb. So I really need this movement. When I was about to graduate, I had a band and my band was like the recess from all the repetition. It was something that was creative and I could express myself. So this was a moment when I decided maybe I can turn this into a career, a job, because I think I might be good at it. It made me so much happier. It was my process realizing that I was actually good at doing something else. So because of the effect 
that having a band had on you, you understood that it made you happy? Yeah, I understood that it was actually like my happy place. And we started doing concerts and people were liking. And I said, oh, maybe I could do this. I could actually do this and not just be a hobby. Like it was actually, it wasn't just a hobby for me. It was actually work, but I just didn't name it as it. It was a sacred place. Music has always been a sacred place for me. The first scene that you mentioned was when you were expressing yourself or being connected to your feelings. In a way, architecture could be a place for expression, but it's almost like a side effect, the expression yeah. in architecture. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a good image. And I think that maybe when you talk about your talent or your calling is expressing yourself. So you had maybe an image of what architecture could be, like a place for you to express yourself, but the reality was proving different than you expected. Yeah, exactly. And then music was obviously a place where expressing yourself was happening. Was the only thing, yeah. It was absolutely about it. Since the songwriting and the performance of singing and everything, it was just about feeling and being. I feel like your talent is simply feeling and expressing, which could seem like something not really complex or simple, but I think it's one of the most important aspects of art. Yeah, I agree. It's the core of it. If you lose this, you lose everything. Of course, music, it's my job, it's my career, it's something that it also brings many difficult bureaucratic matters sometimes. But aside from this, I think the essence is creating something that's real. And your music or your relationship with music, does it have an intellectual layer or is it mostly through your feelings? I have a very intuitive relationship with music. So as I was telling you, when I was a little kid, I would invent the eight songs. I was like a game, always singing. I was really little, like five years old, six, seven. So I didn't play an instrument, but I was always, hey, dad, look what I made up. And I would show him this never changed for me. And I think it's really the quality that I bring, that I try to keep it alive. It's this kid's eyes, you know, curiosity and just flow. Let your feelings flow with no filter. It's something I try to preserve, you know. I think my work comes from this place, which is child's place still where the senses and feelings are open that makes everything. Colors, smells, my lyrics, they're usually, they bring a lot of images and smells and colors. I actually, I came to study architecture because I used to draw a lot. I also had that when I was a little kid. I remember listening to my dad on the piano and I would like choose the colors according to what I was listening. 
what was the first time your mind was blown by a work of art, like a song, a film, a book? The first time I saw Louise Bourgeois, I was a grown-up already. I was really touched and I cried and it was in the MoMA. It's a work of art. It's a metal sculpture. It's a person hanging like an arch with its arms thrown backwards and it's bent backwards. I was caught by surprise and I wasn't expecting something like that. And it's a golden figure. It was just the light that it came from it. It was almost unbearable. I don't know. It was so beautiful for me. It reflects a lot. And the figure per se was so expressive. Yeah, I was touched by it. What did you feel when you looked at it? I don't know. I just thought it was so beautiful. Like I felt something unbearable. It seems like the image is suffering, but it felt like how could something that is so sad be so beautiful? It seemed like it was in pain. Connecting back to your first answer, I think when you talk about the expressiveness of the work of art, maybe it was a time that you felt the same relationship that you have with art, with music, which is the synesthesia or being able to express yourself. I think maybe the amount of expressiveness of the work mm -hmm. of art, it's something that really resonated with how you perceive art. Absolutely. Thank you for that. What was your most emblematic moment of creative fulfillment when you thought that whatever was inside you was being transformed into artistic expression? I think this wasn't just one moment, but it still happens. When I show something I'm composing, something I'm writing for someone, my mom used to joke with me that I was the secretive musician because I would never show anything to anyone <laughs> since it was something more like a tool than something that has an utility. So a tool for my own expression and for me, a therapeutic channel. I didn't have the ambition of showing it to anyone because I thought it was just something so intimate. By this time, I wasn't planning on, on being a musician. I was Actually, I think I was studying architecture. And I think the moment when I showed, and I think it was my mother, look, I made this. What do you think about it? And I played and I mean, she liked it and everything, but just the act of playing to somebody, it was just, it's so weird because I was so scared and it wasn't like a ego thing. Oh, is the person going to like it or not? It was more of you're taking a photograph of my soul. So I'm scared <laughs> of showing this. When I first presented my work, it was kind of a turning point for me where I started to actually do it to the world, give it to the world, give the song to the world. Because after you show it to somebody, it belongs to the world as well. That feeling, that place. So it's not just yours. 
So it was the moment where I started understanding that I could share this. Something very simple, but very game-changing in my mind. So I think that's when I became the artist for the world and not just to my intimate place. That's very interesting because some people talk about, for example, that the moment of fulfillment is when they are writing the song or when they are on stage. And I think that because of the way you communicated with your father, you developed your own internal language for your emotional universe. So it's almost like communicating what you're feeling is your fulfillment, is simply talking or simply expressing yourself. Exactly. Yeah. This is 10 years of therapy. That's how I feel. <laughs> MESA is a team-based work system designed to solve complex challenges by unleashing human potential to process more and execute faster, a method used by companies like Google, Nike, Coca-Cola, and many others to solve challenges for which there are no benchmarks in the world. Find out more at mesa.do or visit mesa.school to learn how to implement it on your routine. MESA. Work reinvented. What was the worst thing that happened or that you have heard from someone along your path that could almost have made you give up? I think that my biggest difficulty was actually my own self because I took a long time to realize that I could be a musician and that I would have this career because I think music for me was always like a religion in my home. My home just revolves around my father's work and I have a brother who is a musician and an architect. My mom used to play in the band and everything. And my sister is a visual artist. And since I lost my father really early in my life, it was something that it also had to do with the memory of my father. So it was something sacred, which I didn't want to touch. I think more than being worried with people's expectations and all these things, I was worried. I mean, I just didn't want to go there. I wanted to keep it a secret. And that was my greatest challenge to realize that also this relationship I had with music and creation and arts was also something that could be told and interesting in a sense. You've mentioned that music was almost like a religion in your family. But when your father passed, he was elevated to a place of religious importance. So it makes sense that you had to rehumanize your relationship with music to allow yourself to become a minister of this religion as well, not just a follower. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. And also, I had to reinvent my relationship with music. But what was your relationship with music? My father was some kind of deity. And I didn't live my teenage years with my father as well. So he was just perfect. When you're a kid, you think your father is a superhero. So 
it kind of crystallized in that moment. So I, I mean, I only had the good part, like a flawless being, like a deity, like a saint or something. And so I didn't want to change this. I didn't think it was my own right to touch this relationship because it had to do with my memory, with my father's memory, which is the most sacred thing. When you lose someone, you only have the memory. So just don't go there. <laughs> Keep it as it is. And you think that moment when you were studying architecture, that's when you allowed yourself to touch or to go back to these memories and to change your relationship with music? Yeah, I think so. It wasn't exactly a moment, but it was natural. I wasn't happy and I was 21, 22 years old. And my father passed when I was a kid. So it wasn't something that it was fresh anymore. I was more in peace, could visit that place again in a different perspective. It's almost like your relationship with music was so strong that it was stronger than any kind of self-imposed or external limitation. Exactly. <laughs> your relationship with your father was so intense and profound and based on music that it had the seed to help you face the challenges of being the daughter of someone as admired as him. Wow, that makes sense. So the weight is immense, but the solution or the antidote to the weight that you carry is your profound relationship with music built in your comprehension of reality. Yeah, it's... it's encoded what was the most important thing that on the contrary has helped you in a moment of doubt i think that realizing that when i'm playing music when i'm writing music is the closest i can get to myself i can be in touch with myself this kind of leaves me with no doubt of why I'm here and what I'm supposed to do. And there's no plan B. There's no plan B in music, in art. It just has to be. Kind of almost leaves me free from choice. I think the question is actually why wouldn't I work with it? Because of course I was always worried until what point it was my thing and until what point I was just trying to repeat something or try to be something else or someone else. So there's always this question, I think. I also realized that I grew up with a family where there was no pressure at all to either become a dentist or a musician or a photographer or anything. Since it was a creative home everyone was worried in being in touch with itself and being true to yourself and I think that's what it really matters so yeah so I don't think I'm a musician because I'm the daughter of a musician I think it's because it's part of my story of course but it's me <laughs> it's actually me What advice would you give yourself 
when you were beginning, not in terms of career, but in terms of expressiveness. So, in other words, what have you learned along the way about how to get in touch creatively with your internal material and be able to express yourself creatively? Don't try to fit into a routine. <laughs> Just don't. It's terrible. I hear so many times that people are so, they love their routines and the, like their sanity almost is their routine, the repetition of things, to know everything that's going to happen on the day. And for me, it's really strange because I have my own way of studying. I need some space, emotional space. And not knowing what's going to happen and just being is the best tool to be productive, actually, which is a paradox. I try not to have a routine and composition. I actually realized that I'm actually always working. There's no segregation between my personal life and my work. There's no division. If I'm writing a song, for example, and I have some kind of writer's block or something, I just can't go ahead. I'm just going to leave it there and not going to... Every day I'm going to spend three hours doing this and there's going to be a time when, boom, the song's going to be ready. It's not like that. For me, it works in a very organic way. I'm sometimes working in five different songs at the same time. And some songs take a year or years to be made and some songs are they just come ready I think not to rush because we have this thing of being productive all the time and having a rhythm of things but I think art and creation has its own time it's just what's most important is to always have your eyes wide open to be curious. You mentioned that routine can be a prison, but what about technique? Is it also a prison for you? I love to dance like many kids do. And my father was much older, like a grandpa in a way. So he just adored his much younger daughter. And he thought I was a great dancer. And he would tell my mom, can you see how she's dancing? Anna, you should never put her in a class in dancing lessons because it's going to ruin her essence. <laughs> This is exactly the relationship with art that you developed. Yeah, absolutely. Becoming an adult is learning the technique of living. Yeah. And I think the danger of becoming an adult is losing the connection with your expressive kid self and learning technique is what society is about. Our society doesn't stimulate. On the contrary, it kind of asphyxiates this individuality and the expression. So I think it's almost like technique. We're going to learn. We become adults. That's what we do. We learn things through repetition. But the important thing is not to lose our essence. Exactly. Yeah, I think Baudelaire, it made me remind of something he said Genius is childhood controlled or something like that. And that's perfect. 
In this episode, Maria Luisa talked about how her relationship with music began as a way to communicate with her father, of expressing what she was feeling at the time. Losing him early in her life made music a sacred place, and she avoided it as a serious endeavor, or as a way to communicate with the world, as if trying to preserve their memories together. But it's as if he prepared her for his departure, stimulating a relationship with music not based on technique, but on expressing her feelings and being free. And when she felt trapped by the repetition or the lack of rhythm of life, music came naturally to her rescue, reminding her that it was not just a connection with her father or with her history, but with herself. With Maria, I've learned that it's very important to understand your own creative rhythm. In her case, the way she deals with the lack of routine is by constantly working on projects without the pressure to deliver them at a specific time, letting them simmer until they're ready. You can find Maria Luisa Jobim's music available on all streaming platforms and follow her on her social networks. The link to all that is in the episode's description. If you like this podcast, you can follow, review and rate us on your favorite streaming platform. If you think someone might like the kind of reflections we make here, share this podcast with them. You can visit our website at creativeemotion.art where you can join our mailing list and find extra information and resources. You've just listened to Creative Emotion. The soundtrack you're listening was composed specially for this podcast by multi-instrumentalist and producer Lucas Vasconcelos. Vitor Marques was the editor and Perola Matias was the story editor for this episode. I am Pedro Garcia, Thanks for listening and see you next time.